This episode of Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point is sponsored by Blue Bridge Games. For the games and gifts you won't find anywhere else, head to Grand Rapids, Michigan's friendliest local game store, Blue Bridge Games. Blue Bridge Games carries an extensive line of board games, card games, role-playing tabletop games, Magic the Gathering, and more. Stop into their storefront on East Fulton or shop with them online at bluebridgegames.com. You say you want to watch a drama. You say you want to watch a comedy. Well, you can watch it with your mama. Or you can watch it with your daddy. You'll even sit and watch it with your middle schooler. So you can come and talk around our water cooler. We're watching all day and all night. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa, whoa. Couch Potatoes Unite. Whoa. Welcome to a brand new episode of the podcast entitled Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point, which is based on a blog of the same name because here's the show's namey, obviously. Hello, nurse! My name is Kylie and I love TV. If you feel the same, keep listening and or checking out our website, couchpotatoesunite.wordpress.com as you're bound to find some common ground or something you like. For Couch Potatoes Unite, we're all about the wonders and the unique long-form storytelling of the small screen. CPU! Exclamation point! Hopes you've been following releases of brand new episodes of the podcast on Wednesdays, as well as new blog entries on some Tuesdays. And as always, we have several more new episodes on the way. Because the panels and I live lives behind our podcast, the episodes are published once per week. Subscribe to the website or podcast Podcasts via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Digital Radio, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Amazon Music, basically wherever you get your podcasts to stay on top of brand new episodes. Episodes already published discuss a variety of shows around the water cooler, including, but not limited to, Stranger Things, iZombie, The Good Place, Game of Thrones, Grace and Frankie, Mr. Robot, Altered Carbon, The Orville, Outlander, Westworld, Fuller House, Schitt's Creek, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Good Doctor, and The Crown. Plus, new episodes are in the works, including revisits for The Hundred, This Is Us, Charmed, Riverdale, the American Horror Story franchise series panel. We'll talk about season one of American Horror Stories. The DCTU series panel will reflect upon season four of Black Lightning. And the Star Trek 50 Plus series will discuss season one of Deep Space Nine. We'll be launching new panels covering Killing Eve, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, American Gods, Grey's Anatomy, Cobra Kai, Peaky Blinders, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, A Discovery of Witches, and The Hauntings of Hill House and Bly Manor. And because we look back at shows now past, we'll travel through time and experience all sorts of identities with Quantum Leap. We'll thank the Golden Girls for being friends. We'll cry bazinga for Big Bang Theory. We'll dive deep into the fantasy world of the magicians. We'll navigate the witty political satire of Parks and Recreation. We'll become psychos for psych. We'll go where everybody knows your name with cheers. We hope you'll be listening when we talk about Frasier. And we'll know that's what she said. When we talk about The Office, both from the UK and the USA. By the way, did you know that CPU also from time to time goes live? We've been live from bunkers, comedy shows, comic cons, and game stores. Plus, we're planning more live appearances and other cool stuff, including in whatever we're calling these times. So make sure you like or follow us at our Facebook page, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at Couch Potatoes Unite, or subscribe to the website, YouTube channel, Apple iTunes channel, Stitcher Radio channel, or find us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. In the meantime, if you don't hear a show in this podcast, format fellow panelists and i still write reviews and we always seek new panelists so if you have any interest in joining the discussion say hello by finding us at any of the outlets i've mentioned at the very least stop by and leave us a thumbs up comment or review we like feedback just don't assume that you can call us names because are we some sort of podcast producing tv loving chatterboxes here to amuse you ravioli linguine macaroni capiche
Bada bing, bada boom. Today's panel and I are launching a new Looking Back to Look Forward series as requested by several of our resident couch potatoes and couch potatoes adjacent. If you aren't already aware from time to time, CPU chooses shows of all types, but usually of some fame or notoriety to reminisce about and to consider whether or not they age gracefully like Slappy Squirrel, now that's comedy, or don't hold up as well like most of the brain's plans to take over the world. As such, this is another chapter of our Looking Back podcast episodes where we review a show that has been gone, either via natural end or cancellation, for some time. And this is but one chapter in a multi-part series in which we'll explore the original and rebooted versions of the most zany-to-the-max cartoon in Warner Brothers history. At least that's what the theme song says. The much-beloved Animaniacs! In fact, today in our first discussion, we'll be looking back at the first two seasons, otherwise known as the Fox seasons, of this baloney-in-your-slacks kind of animated delight. Light. Each new episode in this new CPU series will progress through subsequent seasons of Animaniacs, the original five seasons from the 90s, and the rebooted seasons that began streaming on Hulu in the fall of 2020. To that end, season one aired from September 13, 1993, this is the original, to May 23, 1994, with a total of 65 episodes, while season two, which was compiled quickly from unused scripts, aired from September 10, 1994 to November 12, 1994, and contained four episodes. It's a little cockamamie there, but these episodes all aired in the Fox Kids block each weekday and Saturday mornings. We can't get started without a tiny bit of context and a little bit of praise, though, so let's talk the Animaniacs, which is an American animated comedy musical television series created by Tom Ruger for Fox Broadcasting Company's Fox Kids Block before moving to the WB in 1995 as part of its Kids WB Afternoon Programming Block until the series ended in 1998. It is the second animated series produced by Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment in association with Warner Brothers Animation after Tiny Toon Adventures. It initially ran a total of 99 episodes along with a feature-length film, Animaniacs Wacko's Wish. Reruns later aired on Cartoon Network, Nickelodeon, and Discovery Family, which was at the time called The Hub Network. Never even heard of that, but that's what it was called. Animaniacs is a variety show with short skits featuring a large cast of characters. While the show had no set format, the majority of episodes are composed of three short mini-episodes, each starring a different set of characters and bridging segments. Hallmarks of the series include its music, satirical social commentary, pop culture references, character catchphrases, and innuendo directed at an adult audience. A revival of the series was announced in January 2018 with at least two seasons and a third now announced to be produced in conjunction with Amblin Entertainment and Warner Brothers Animation with producer Steven Spielberg, songwriter Randy Rogel, and many of the main voice actors returning. The revival premiered on November 20th, 2020 on Hulu. The main characters, the Warner siblings, Yakko, Wacko, and Dot, live in the water tower on the Warner Brothers studio lot in Burbank, California. However, characters from the series have episodes in various places and periods of time. The Animaniacs characters interact with famous people and creators of the past and present, as well as mythological characters and characters from contemporary pop culture and television. While Animaniacs was popular among younger viewers, the target demographic for Warner Brothers TV cartoons, adults also responded positively to the show. In 1995, more than one-fifth of the weekday and Saturday morning audience viewers were 25 years or older. The large adult fan base even led to one of the first internet-based fandom cultures. During the show's prime, the internet news group of Alt.tv.Animaniacs was an active gathering place for fans of the show, most of whom were adults, to post reference guides, fan fiction, and fan-made artwork about Animaniacs. Animaniacs also won a Peabody Award in its debuting season, as well as two Daytime Emmy Awards and later Daytime Emmy Awards in the categories of Outstanding Achievement in Music Direction and Composition 
animation, and that's it. When Animaniacs won this award in 1999, it set a record for most daytime Emmy Awards in the field of outstanding achievement in music direction and composition for any individual animation studio. In 2009, IGN named Animaniacs the 17th best animated television series, and Animaniacs was also listed among TV Guide's 60 greatest TV cartoons of all time. Today, in part one of our multi-part Animaniacs, the past and future show's namey series, our full crew of zany to the max Animaniacs fans, including two frequent panelists, two occasional panelists, one brand new voice, and your very involved moderator will talk about the finer and less fine points, if those exist, of the Fox seasons, i.e. seasons one through two of the original version of this beloved cartoon. It should be noted that all of our panelists have viewed much of the OG Animaniacs series and may discuss sensitive plot points, jokes, sight gags, and other comedic elements best approached on a first watch of a cartoon. So for those of you who have not watched any Animaniacs, maniacs of any type and plan to do so first of all get on that but second of all listen at your own risk as there may be major spoilers at this time i'd like to introduce the panel and this is how this is going to work most of them know how this works but i'm going to remind them and remind you gentle listener if you're not new to our podcast and if you are well this is new to you i'm going to ask you i'm going to ask the panelists how they identify themselves by their first name just their first name, not your whole life story, just your first name. And then tell us how you came to watch Animaniacs, the original now. What made you start watching? How'd you find out about it? What kept you watching? Did you watch everything in that original five-season run? And how did you watch them? Tell us how old you were. You know, set, Give a context of your Animaniacs experience, if you would, even if it's later in life. And then I'm going to ask you to rate your interest in the show. And just at the beginning, because we're covering our looking back in two parts. So when you first watched The Animaniacs, how did you feel? And I'm going to ask you this along the standard CPU character question, which changes with each show we do. I have an Animaniacs special character question. And as Kylie is wont to do with the comedies... I'm going to do some impressions. I don't sell them as good ones. I'm just going to do them. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for this first question panel? Yes. Fire away. Be ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I, I can feel the vote of confidence in the room, but we're going to do this anyway. <laughs> so how would you rate your interest in the Animaniacs at the beginning when you first started absorbing all that is the Animaniacs. <clears throat> the Animaniacs are good dogs. They're definitely good dogs, like Runt. Definitely, definitely good dogs. Mm -hmm. Good dogs. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, no, wait, no. Is it really good for laboratory mice to be television critics? Narf, like Pinky. It's both delicious and fabu, <laughs> like Wacko Warner. Like you, it's cute. But you're cuter and you can't help it, like Dot Warner. As far back as you can remember, you always wanted to be a member of the Animaniacs fan club. It's like being one of the three musketeers. Or the good feathers, like Squid. Are you saying I'm a musketeer? Are you saying that I am Annette Funicello here to wear mouse ears for you? That I am some kind of hey there, hi there, ho there, come and join the jamboree punk on a kid's TV show? Is that what you're saying? Like Pesto. Bada bing, bada boom. Like Bobby, wheel of morality, turn, turn, turn. Tell us the lesson that we shall learn. And the moral of today's story is, if at first you don't succeed, blame it on your parents. Like Yakko Warner, drivel. You'd rather be making plans to take over the world, which is the same thing you do every night. Like Brain. Okay, I love you, but bye Like Mindy. Arr. Like Buttons. Spew! Like Skippy Squirrel. 
Don't tell them. They might crack, like Slappy Squirrel, or darn, there goes my trip to Aruba, like Rita. Who would like to start? Well, after that introduction, good night, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) What are you saying? I covered it okay. (laughs) (laughs) But for real, though, who would like to start? (laughs) I said I can start. Oh, okay. So I'm Michael. Hi, Michael. And I can remember watching the Tiny Toon Adventures back in, like, the early 90s, which was like, well... Even going further back than that, I've been a huge fan of Looney Tunes cartoons from, like, my early, early childhood, like, five, six years old or something. So, I mean, like, I've been a fan of this type of humor for most of my life, basically, and I feel like that this particular show is the foundation for most of my sense of humor. And so when I first heard about it, after watching Tiny Toon Adventures and hearing Steven Spielberg presents, I was like, oh, cool, another another show like Tiny Toon Adventures. That's going to be awesome. And then, of course, I started watching it, and I and I was immediately drawn to the zaniness and the, the silliness and all of the pop culture references that I would get, like, really easily because I've been, you know, watching Looney Tunes cartoons and old movies for as long as I can remember. So I was like, ha, I get that, I get that, and that's funny. And so basically, I just was super obsessed with this show from, like, when it started. I can remember watching this well into my high school years. So I can remember watching it in 93, so I was 11. And then I went to high school in 96 when I turned 14. And then I can remember watching it well into, like, my like junior, senior year of high school, which is 98, 99, so 17, 18 years old. Yeah, because I'm a nerd and I watch cartoons when I was in high school. Big deal. I no one's judging here. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been super obsessed with this show since I was a kid, and it's probably one of my favorite cartoons of all time on television. So, but... When it comes to the character reference, I feel like I'm more of the wacko Warner in, in this sense because I think it's both delicious and fabu. Or as he says, fabu. <laughs> All right. Welcome back, Michael. Michael, you are one of our frequent panelists. What other panels have you appeared on? Well, I do a lot of the looking back ones because apparently I watch a lot of old TV. So I've done the, let's see if I can remember all of them. I've done Glee. I've done That 70s Show. I did Third Rock from the Sun. And then, of course, I'm also on the Star Trek 50 Plus series. And the one current one I'm on is Stranger Things. (laughs) Which is about retro stuff. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, Michael. Thank you. I'm Nick. Hi, Um, Nick. Um. Yep, Nick Um. Or Nick M. Wait, what? I came to watch Animaniacs because I was a child and I owned a TV. If it was a cartoon, I was watching it. I was about nine when this came out. I had watched Tiny Toons prior to this, but I grew up on any iteration of a show like the Bugs and the Bugs Bunny and Tweety show. Anything that showed you those old Warner Brothers cartoons, I was watching them. I loved Bugs Bunny and that menagerie, and I enjoyed where this kind of picked up from there, but also modernized it. And some of my favorites are the ones that feel the most like those old Warner Brothers shorts. So I watched it as soon as I could and just absolute 
absolutely loved it. Similar to Michael, I think both Animaniacs and old Warner Brother cartoons is where I get a lot of my sense of humor. So I think from the get-go, I'll I maybe for the later seasons it'll change, but I think I just have to say I'm run, definitely run. I just love this show and ate it up. It was we'll get into the aspects I like about it the most, but it is just good humor. It's not humor for kids. It's just good comedy. Now that's comedy. Mm-hmm. I do love Slappy Squirrel. <laughs> well, welcome back, Nick. Nick, you are our second most involved panelist, as well as one of our moderator team. Tell us some of the panels you're on. Yeah, I moderated the MASH panels. I am, did was on X-Files, Star Trek, Futurama, Third Rock from the Sun. There's too many other ones. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot. Welcome back, Nick. Thanks. I'm Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hi, it's good to be back. So I kind of stumbled upon Animaniacs by accident as a kid. When I was in elementary school, I had the fortune slash misfortune of being in the same building as my mother, who was a sixth grade teacher. So whenever school would get done, I would go down to her classroom and she needed to find something to occupy me. And as it turned out, she happened to have one of those classic TVs on a cart that we all love to see as as children of the 90s. Those were good days. She had one, and not only did she have one permanently in her classroom, but it was hooked up to cable. And so I would just turn the TV on at the same time that Animaniacs was, was really gaining steam in the 90s. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was also entering its heyday, and I was a big Power Rangers fan as a third grader and fourth grader and whatnot. So I turned the TV on, and if it was on a little early, Animaniacs would be on. And cartoon, young kid, same as everybody else, grew up watching Bugs Bunny and Friends, Looney Tunes show, Tiny Toon Adventures, that sort of thing. And I'd watch Animaniacs, and as I'd be watching it, I'd be going, man, the, the humor here is really smart. Even for me as a 9-year-old, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, I was getting a lot of the references, and the, the pop culture things that were happening and and a lot of the, again, the, the songs, very well written, that were also making me learn stuff, which is not what I was expecting from a TV a TV show on Fox at the time. And I watched it all the way through the, the Fox era and then kind of lost it after it went to the WB. But since it's come back onto Hulu, I've been trying to stream through all of it and catch up 20 some odd years later. As far as who I would be, given that the way I kind of stumbled upon it, I guess I would have to blame it on my parents, as the Wheel of Morality says, like Yakko Warner. But I'd also have to say I'm a little bit like like Squid. You know, as far back as I can remember, I've always wanted to be a member of the Animaniacs fan club. Fair enough. Welcome back, Ryan. Ryan, you, this is your second appearance. What other panel are you on? I was a panelist for the Orville. And you still will be. There's more seasons of that coming. <laughs> and I am very eagerly looking forward to those. As am I. Welcome back, Ryan. I'm Christian. Hi, Christian. Um, mine's kind of just a mix of Ryan's and, and Nick's. It's just like I discovered it by virtue of being eight or nine when it when it aired and it was on TV and I was in front of a TV a lot. Yeah, I'm also probably just in the in the run camp. I will suffer very very little ill to be spoken of of Animaniacs and yeah, like Ryan, I I, I kind of. I don't remember, we didn't very often, we kind of had cable sporadically in my family when I was a kid, so I don't think I was able to, like, follow it over on the, because I think that was before WB was was on, was it, like, PAX or whatever carried the WB stuff, but that was, like, later, around like, turn the millennium, I think, so I don't think I saw, I must not have seen after the Fox years, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, like, Hulu binging as I can, and did I already say I'm a runt? I'm a runt. You did say you were a runt. 
All right. Christian, this is not your first time around the water cooler. What other panels have you been on? Truth. Arrested Development, Arrested Development, Arrested Development, Arrested Development. And was it Firefly was the live one? Firefly was the live one. Back in the days when we could do, well, maybe we can soon, but, you know, before the times. The panel will just be wider because we'll all be six feet apart. That's right. Exactly. Extra wide lens. (laughs) Way to think through this, Christian. Welcome back. <laughs> I can't figure out Zoom, but I can figure out six feet of distance. <laughs> well, I'm happy to have you as the distance consultant. We also have a brand new panelist on our panel. Brand new panelist, hi. That's you. Is it, is it me? Is it me? Oh, hi, guys. Oh, How's hi. it going? Good. Hello, tunophiles and geeks and, and, and pop culture lovers alike. Welcome. Thank you for having me. My name is Stephen. Hi, Stephen. <laughs> what else can be said? I mean, everything that's that's true, I feel like, with all of us, we all kind of, sounds like, went through the same kind of mode of how we discovered Animaniacs, but should I say it? Should I, okay. As far back as I can remember, I've always been enamored with, with animation, enamored with tunes, etc., etc., etc. I think we were all in that core demographic of the audience they were they were shooting for. Raised on, of course, all the Warner Brothers shorts, all the Bugs Bunnies. They were, I don't know if anybody had them had the channel TNT back in the day, but they would always show it like on Sunday nights. And that was a not to be missed event for me in my childhood. And I was nine when Animaniacs first premiered. Of course, I was raised on the Tiny Toons first from like 1991 onward. It was like the same kind of thing. Okay, Looney Tunes light, Looney Tunes little, fun size Looney Tunes. And from there on, it was just kind of like, okay, I, I like where this is going. Plus with the advent of Steven Spielberg behind it, Spielberg at that time was huge. Everybody knew Steven Spielberg, so everybody wanted to chew up whatever content he was involved in. And animation, ever since his first bout in animation or adventure in animation with American Tale way back in the day, I was like, okay, this guy gets gets the genre, but also is giving us quality, not just, you know, run-of-the-mill Saturday morning cartoons like you would get in the late 80s, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's truly a reason why the 90s are the, the renaissance of animation. Animaniacs, I think, is one of the staples of that era. They took the, they were trying out the new comedic sensibilities with Tiny Toons, trying new things, trying new zingers, trying new of-era jokes or, or pop culture references. And once they saw that worked, Animaniacs hits, and they're like, okay, how can we shake this up? How can we make this even even more so? Mutate it. Yeah, they, let's mutate it a little bit. With the little puppy children, and puts him in the water tower, yes. And, <laughs> and, and it exploded onto the scene that, with that first season, and I remember seeing the first episode, you know, we were rushed home from school, trying to catch up what it was on, and it blew my mind. It was like the pure culmination, or culmination of what my sensibilities were at the time, as far as comedy, animation, etc. But even more so, it, it didn't talk down to us. It only advanced our our <laughs> smarts, I will say, for the lack of a better phrase. It was pure comedy, and it was trying a lot of new things without being sappy, without being corny, and just, just being pure animation joy at, at its best, and, and the wackiness factor of it all. And I think that's what drew me to it the most, was it was like, okay, gosh, I've never seen anything quite like this with this kind of energy since those kind of old school Warner Brothers Louie Tunes days. And it's really cool that they went back to those those roots with Animaniacs. And I was hooked ever since. When it comes to characters, I was always a Yakko fan. I always saw myself as a Yakko. I tried to emulate Yakko. I tried to try to be as sharp as attack as Yakko, being a Mar- Marx Brothers fans and of course Bugs Bunny fan back in the day. He was kinda like 
all that pureed into one sort of puppy child character. As years went on, I found myself evolving more into a brain, and I'm happily looking forward to evolving into a very surly slappy squirrel at the end of my career. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's you, but what's your interest in the show? See, this is an interest scale. <laughs> it's, it's a scale, my, yes. My interest in the show is, yes, I mean, above and beyond, 100%. The interest in the show is seeing how it... Well, first of all, seeing the animation, the, the boost of animation quality through a lot of those TMS animated episodes and things like that. My interest is seeing the time capsule that it is. I really, really like like analyzing, especially going back now as an adult, what they did and how the jokes play and how the comedy plays and how it still transcends generations and how, how the jokes still keep their purity and how people still get something from them. That is just great storytelling. That's like Sherry Stoner's sensibility and her writing. That's that's something that I think hasn't been done since to that caliber until they came back. And it was kind of like a lightning in a bottle era. So I'm, I'm fascinated by its quality of comedy and animation above and above all. Okay. That's my main interest. To make a long story short, too late. I like Animaniacs. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're probably at the top. I'm going to say you're probably a runt, right? <laughs> They're definitely good dogs. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Stephen. Thank you. And of course, my name is Kylie. I am both moderating and participating today, as is often the case. I started watching The Animaniacs because, well, I, I'm going to hint that I'm a little bit older than the rest of this crew. Not a lot. Not, Nick, not a lot older, but <laughs> enough older. <laughs> but Good night, everybody. Thank you. <laughs> but I had younger siblings, and we all actually gathered around the TV to watch Tiny Toon Adventures, and then it became a serious transition into the Animaniacs. And Stephen is absolutely right. This is a cartoon that never pandered. It is smart. It is witty it is rapid fire it is it demands that you actually think through some of the jokes they tell i just restreamed the first two seasons just to refresh myself and there were jokes i heard that i had not remembered that i was like i could not have gotten that as a young teenager i just like could finger, not like the fingerprints joke exactly just <laughs> <laughs> for prince no fingerprints i don't think so <laughs> I mean, oh my god, if I was an adult at that time watching it, I would have been like, wait, wait, wait to fly under the radar. Good exactly, job. right. A lot of it had to have flown over my head, and I'm I'm not, like, super worldly, but I'm, you know, not dumb. So, <laughs> there was a lot of smart jokes. So, I loved it, and in fact, I, I loved it so much, I voraciously consumed it then. I'm happy to rewatch it now for this episode. This is my all-time favorite cartoon. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a pure connoisseur. I do enjoy animated television a lot. But of the animated television that I have consumed, that I have watched, that I have enjoyed, I can easily and honestly say that Animaniacs is my number one favorite of all time. So to that end... I think they're they're good dogs. They're definitely good dogs like Runt, although I'm going to add a multiple, which will make Nick get all upset, although his wife is right. here, <laughs> so I don't care. Well, he used his last initial, so I think <laughs> you've got some leeway this time. Well, thanks, Christian. <laughs> I'm also going to say that it's both delicious and fabu, because Wacko Warner's my favorite character. Why is he my favorite character? Does anybody know? <laughs> Because he was made to sound like Ringo Starr. 
I was gonna say it's either because of the Beatles connection or the belching. Either or. It's either. <laughs> yeah. Does oh, she no. like belching classical music? <laughs> well, you know, maybe a little column A, mostly column A. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the Animaniacs panel. As I indicated in the intro, we're gonna be covering the original series, all five seasons, in two episodes, and then we're gonna go season by season with the revival, which is aired its first or released its first season last fall. A new season is coming out in November of 2021 and then a third season was announced probably for 2022 so this is a panel that will have lots to say but we're going to reflect we're going to wax nostalgic we're going to go back in time to that original Animaniacs experience and really this is the have at it talk about whatever you want there's so much there's so many jokes and songs and characters and wherever you want to hit first we'll go I mean one thing that I loved about the show and in I didn't catch a ton of it when I was a kid, but absolutely, as I've been streaming it more recently, you said there's so much, and there's so much on screen. There are so many little Easter eggs everywhere that you can see. It, it's very, very clever. Pop culture references, classic Hollywood references, various little tidbits, cameos by people. And some of them are very blatant, and, and the musicals play the Animaniacs theme as the characters run across the screen being chased by being chased by the guard in the middle of King Arthur's court. You know, not something that, <laughs> that you'd expect to see, but they would do that sort of thing. Or they'd have Pinky in the brain walking around in the background. There's so much they they don't just focus on the main characters in the story. It's the whole picture that they're trying to convey through that. I absolutely loved, loved watching that, especially as an adult. Yeah, I can't tell you how many times I would watch these episodes throughout my childhood and even today, and it'd just be like watching them. I mean, I've watched them so many times repeatedly because they were on every day. And then, you know, when they would be sold into syndication, you would they would... You never knew what episode was coming up, so you'd tune in and it would just be like, oh, I love this episode. Oh, I love this one. A lot of times when I got older, it's because I recognized it. And when it was new, it was just like, oh, what's going to happen this week? What's the fun one? What's the fun cartoon with Pinky and the Brain? What's the fun one with the Warners? And yeah, I mean, just like the, for me, it was always the fact that yeah, I would I would laugh so hard and like to the point where my family would like chide me for my laughing too much. <laughs> Well, to Aww. piggyback on those sensibilities of, of, of Ryan and Michael, what I find most interesting about it nowadays, now that you've we've all grown up over our youth and, you know, the pretty colors and the jokes and the fun characters, I like looking at the universe of it all. I really like how, how well, to quote the, the new lyric in the opening, we did meta first, how meta it really kind of is. And yet at the same time, its universe is, is truly unique. It's It's... I don't want to jump in too heavy too quick, but the universe is something is that's incredibly interesting, and the portrayal and delivery of its universe is something that 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 really intrigued me. One of my favorite films was always Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and it's kind of that kind of that universe prime of of everything where it encompasses all and everything. Everything is okay to do. Everything is the comedy is okay to explore, and on top of that, it's also kind of in a weird way introducing vaudeville back to. A 90s generation there were there was nothing that they couldn't try nothing that they wouldn't try and whatever worked they would riff on and keep going and and, and keep those characters what didn't work would have its little one-off and it would you know just be part of its universe and go exist somewhere else within that plane but the universe of it all 
was something that that kind of encapsulated the interest of not only animation nuts but also comedy connoisseurs and also creating original new characters that have become classics and up to that point I don't think things for animated television or subject matter for animated television were quite as diverse in the creativity department as Animaniacs was at that point. Like I said, they kind of tried it out with Tiny Toons. They went that extra mile with Animaniacs and they almost went too far with Freakazoid. That's the holy trinity. <laughs> Warner, Warner Brothers comedic involvement for me. Also, I gotta, I gotta give props to the music and especially the voice cast. I mean, some of the heavy hitters of the time, some of the classics in my top five of all time, like Rob Paulson, of course, Jess Arnell, Trust McNeil, in my opinion, is the new June Forey. You got everybody and, and, and everyone of that era doing their best and swinging their hardest. And it, there's, it still stands to this day. Those are the, the things that I really, really love going back and revisiting, especially when it comes to the actual universe of, of what that tune world is and how meta it is. Yeah, going back on your vaudeville reference and the universe of it, I mean, it's pretty obvious, even I recognized it as a kid, that this show was definitely steeped in animation history. And it partially fueled my interest in, you know, delving deep into what makes a, what everything was coming from. And I was doing some research today about the cartoons, and I wanted to know, like, where did they come from? And I thought, it, and I swear, I, I rewatched the episode today. I remember distinctly there is a, before Animaniacs aired, there is an episode of Tiny Toon Adventures called Two Tone Town. Two Tones. And Two Tone Town features a trio of characters. It was two foxes and a kind of a big, tall dog type character in black and white, and they're washed up cartoon characters that live in the black and white area of of the Tiny Toon Adventures universe. One of them's named Foxy, the other's Roxy. Now, you can see, when you look at the episode, the character design of Foxy, Roxy, and I think the dog was called... Oh, crap, I just watched this episode. It was like... Drippy? Uh, no. no, it was like... Ah, dang, I don't remember. Somebody out there will probably tweet at us being like, you idiots, it was something dog. Tweet at anyway, us, CPU Podcast, if you know the answer. <laughs> so, you know, the, the characters design for these three characters was very similar to the Animaniacs. And so I was like, well, I swear that that was the origin right there. Although it's interesting, I found out that it's sort of tangentially part of the origin. Actually, Tom Ruger, who was the executive director of the series, or not executive director, he was like the main creative force behind it, Tom Ruger. He created a trio of characters and he like before he met Steven Spielberg, that was these platypus duck characters. And they were based on his three sons. And these were the characters he used as the basis for the Animaniacs. And it was suggested by someone, I can't remember who when I was doing the research, that they needed to tie it more to like a different design because they didn't want to use the platypus duck because it looked too much like Plucky Duck, basically, from Tiny Toons. So they... Tom Ruger was walking around the Warner Brothers lot and he saw the the Warner Brothers water tower and was like, oh, hey, that might be fun to use as sort of like part of the origin story of these characters. And then he got the idea of, and I was reading, there's a quote where he says he remembered doing the Tiny Toon Adventures episode with the Tone Town characters and he, and he realized that he could use the, that character design and eventually that became the Animaniacs. Turns out, 
Foxy and Roxy are actually Warner Brothers characters from the 1930s, and they were featured in only like two or three cartoons. So it's amazing that the history that this show is steeped in, and you wouldn't necessarily realize it when you're watching it as a kid, but I think it's amazing that they actually did their homework. Oh yeah, I agree. I mean, inkblots. The inkblot tunes are in their their own vein of themselves, and it's 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 goopy. <laughs> to let you know, the dog is goopy. Foxy and Roxy were ripoffs of Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse. Although some would argue that Mickey and Minnie were ripoffs of the characters that were created first. But anyway, the 1930s kind of a weird. Felix thing. the Cat, anybody? Yeah, right. Bosco, Oswald the Rabbit. It's that. That was the style, and people were trading animators back then. It's yeah. I. So a lot of what Steven was saying, I wanted to, I loved how much Animaniacs took what Tiny Toons did and was like, oh, we don't have to just do, what's our version of Bugs Bunny? What's our version of Daffy Duck? They just were full on creative. We're going to have a chicken who thinks he's a guy. Like, I just love how <laughs> the swings they took. Oh, I, I, like, <laughs> I love Chicken Boo. It's so dumb. It's so, so I admit that Chicken Boo is not my favorite because it's so dumb. <laughs> I love Chicken Boo for how absurd it is. They never realize it's a chicken, but every time they're always shocked. Right. I love that Chicken Except Boo for one person. <laughs> Giant chicken. Yeah, there's always one person who says he's a giant chicken. (laughs) Nick, you were saying. (laughs) So yeah, I just wanted to piggyback off Stephen with that. How the the progression from Animaniacs. They didn't just or from Tiny Toons to Animaniac. They didn't take a baby step. They really went. I like. I don't know how they pitched this to a studio, except for saying, "Hey, Steven Spielberg's behind it." So. Because, like, the idea of a network being like, kids don't care about the Warner Brothers water tower. They're on a movie lot. They're, it, that's not what kids want. That's what I just assume Thaddeus Plotz would say if <laughs> someone was p- pitching it to him. Sure. And I also feel like we could talk about the voice actors for an hour alone. Frank Welker. Anytime Frank Welker is not just animal sounds, I love it. <laughs> It really seemed like there was a time period there where Andrea Romano just could not miss with the selection of voice talent. You should explain who Andrea Romano is. The the voice casting director, I believe. Yes. Mm -hmm. And not to mention throwing not only just great vocal talent, but also great singing talent. I mean, Bernadette Peters. Yes. Rita. Oh, my gosh. A Rita and Rita episode (laughs) I knew was going to be special because we'd get to hear Rita sing. And I think that was also a major influencer for... You know, wanting to emulate that, wanting to be that kind of thing, especially in a theatrical sort of sensibility. There, there was room for everything, room for everything and everybody, not just the crazy animal sounds like Frank Welker, but also the beautiful melodies that somebody like Bernadette Peters could could deliver. And some of those songs and some of those performances still resonate today and are still still punch hard. You know, you're not always going to get a home run, but swing hard, and you never know what's going to happen. And yeah, absolutely. That's one of the major draws still to this day for me of it is just the off the wall absurdity. It's pure tune for tune's sake. Tune's going to tune, as I like to say, and, and they are tuning hard in this series. So if you have that sort of tuning mindset, there's always something to get from it. Even it doesn't matter if you're five or 50, you know, there, it's it's just pure what it is. It's not condescending observational humor like you get a lot of times in tunes today, which I don't necessarily agree with, they are actually trying. And I, I miss that sort of sensibility and creativity, especially with the diversity of characters, you know, the vaudeville sensibility again coming in. 
It might be a slappy episode. It might be a Good Feathers episode. It might be a straight Warner's episode. Maybe you never knew what you're going to get, and that was the reason to keep showing up. Well, you the music when you mentioned the music. I mean, they. I don't. It was on Tiny Toon Adventures, where I believe I don't remember if it was Spielberg himself or if it was somebody else, like the music director of the show, was like, "We have to have a full orchestra, like they did in the yes. original." Movie. Mm-hmm. And they did. They had, like, they actually brought together a full orchestra for the music of this show and Tiny Toons. And I want to even say, like, you know, Batman the Animated Series, which is a Warner Brothers cartoon, the Superman cartoon. Like, a lot of these, like, Warner Brothers animation of this era used full orchestra in order to score their cartoons, which was incredibly rare at the time. Yeah, and this is this is when the studio orchestra was long dead. Yeah, so, I mean, the fact that they brought in Bernadette Peters, that helped me in my childhood. That inspired me to get more into Broadway. Because I was like, who's Bernadette Peters? Oh, I remember her from Pink Cadillac, the Steve Martin film, where... <laughs> Heartbeats, anybody? Anybody? Sorry, that's a Clint Eastwood movie. But anyway, I remember her from the movie Jerk Cadillac with Clint Eastwood. And but then it was like, oh wait, she also did this and this, and she was on the Muppet Show, and she sings one of my favorite songs on the Muppet Show. Yeah, so that helped me be like, oh hey, she's cool, and I should find out what she does. Oh, she does Broadway. Cool. We've mentioned (laughs) Rob Paulson, Jess Harnell, and Tress McNeil, who of course voiced the Warners. But I feel like of the voice actors and actresses that you've mentioned, we cannot neglect Maurice LaMarche. No! Yes, not only (laughs) does the brain, but has a million of the little one-off voices that come in and out because he can chameleonize his vocal cords in ways that not a lot of people can. And I do want to mention here in a kind of wax nostalgic flashback that I went to C2E2 back before, before the times canceled comic cons and the entire animaniacs voice cast was there and i went to everything that they were remotely showing up at and it was so (laughs) delightful because they just went in and out of all these different voices and it was it made me so excited for the revival obviously but it also just made me reflect on everything and every episode that i'd ever watched which is all of them I was there too, and how is it that we did not run into each other? I don't. Were you dressed up? Because that probably was it. <laughs> oh my god, I'm meeting. I'm meeting Toon royalty. I'm gonna wear a suit. Are you exactly. <laughs> It's, well, so, it's so funny people. when they were doing the big photo ops and everybody was like there, you know, it was, it's like a capital call. Or it's like, all right, next, boom, move on. Next, boom, move on. You only have that short moment. I just turned to him and said, now, come on, guys, big smiles like you mean it. And Rob Paulson that was in a beat and said, no, don't worry, it's just gas. And that got that huge, <laughs> that, <laughs> that big reaction of the photo when it was taken. That's just awesome. the razor wit of, of their personalities really, really speaks volumes for the characters. And I think without the, without the, those heavy hitters in that vocal actor community, they wouldn't be as impactful or memorable as as they are today. With throughout through their force of their own characters, they create the characters or breathe life into the characters. So that really says a lot about the entire cast. Paulson, Harnell, McNeil, Marsh, Welker, Stoddard, Bennett, Rugg, all those people. Without the force of their own personalities and characters, you don't have the characters in general, which yeah. again is a, a testament to not only their witticisms and and mental prowess, but also the mutual creativity of everything that was and went into that show. 
Absolutely. Yeah, speaking of Maurice LaMarche, I found out another really cool trivia bit. I don't know if anyone knows this, but I'm kind of a trivia geek. But anyway. What? Um, what? Know, you are? Right? I'm shocked. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, continue. <laughs> so, yeah, so I found out that one of my favorite episodes, one of my favorite shorts on the series has always been the episode it's a pinky in the brain episode called yes always <laughs> and i don't know if anyone knows about the history of this episode but of Marie, course. it's the episode that's kind of like completely when i first watched it i was like what the hell is this like it's so weird seeing brain do voiceover work for these weird commercials and it's perfect <laughs> voice direct is like the voice director on the show and it's just like this weird thing that i'm watching i loved it but i was just like i have no idea what's going on here this was really weird but then you know later in life in college i found out that what maurice lamarche who was the voice actor for the brain was doing was a ver almost verbatim recreation of a famous outtake of orson wells who if you don't know the brain is a voice caricature of orson wells and he's doing basically an almost verbatim recreation of a famous outtake of orson wells trying to do commercials in like the 70s for these frozen peas so it's a big bit called the frozen peas Pea. and like it just circulated in like you know the 70s and 80s and like bootleg that tape and so Maurice LaMarche would actually rehearse when he was like warming his voice up he would do this bit of the frozen peas bit and that's actually how he got the job on Animaniacs walked into the audition and he recited verbatim the Orson Welles frozen peas tape and everyone was like this is amazing you're hired is this it's why one, there's citizen to do an impression of Orson Welles but it's also another thing to do an impression of, of drunk or that you get the job <laughs> there's more to that story too he they wrote that script for him and he had no idea so he went in and just started reading it and he he basically said it was one of the worst days of his life before he came because he just came from a good fr friend's funeral sam kinnison the comedian and he almost didn't even come to work because he was just so depressed he like he was not in the right mindset but he starts reading the script and it was just pure joy like to go through it and he just loved it. And I can't believe it's something they produced. This is Drunken Ramblings of Orson Welles. Is, <laughs> it's amazing. Everyone should YouTube the actual Orson Welles thing because it is great. <laughs> it's also really cool because the other characters in that are one-off characters of like, oh, I'm the engineer. I'm the director. I'm the, you know, I'm the producer. Those are actually, that's really Tom Ruger. That's really Andrea Romano that as the voice director, and that was act like all of the people involved in the show in that role voiced their own character in that episode. It's just like that episode is so insidery baseball, and I love it. So I I wanted to repeat that. Is this why the show? So Citizen Kaney. <laughs> thank you. That is my favorite of the <laughs> the rhymey things at the end. But my favorite episode is the episode where they jumble up all of the characters so that you have the brain and Mindy and you have, I'm not going to remember all the combinations, but they're all mixed up together. I remembered it from 
watching it when I was a kid, when I was watching it just, and I was so excited when it came back on because it's that standard classic, you know, mix them up, spook them up thing where <laughs> they just put the characters in a toss salad bowl and toss the salad. And I love that one. It is so funny. I think I remember the Mindy and Brain one the best because Mindy and Brain are really funny together because he's commenting on her the way he would comment on Pinky and she's still doing her, okay, I love you, bye bye. <laughs> it's so The absurd. idea of Brain as a babysitter is horrifying. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but comedy gold. <laughs> I also love Slappy doing the Warner, being, you know, taking the place of Dot in the Warner sketch for that one because she's literally <laughs> reading the script yes like, yes <laughs> yes she's got the script in front of her and she's just like is this my lie now <laughs> and she also says that's it i'm i'm not doing the script we're doing it my way <laughs> so it's very fun and for all of us who, who have done theater or have been in in the performing arts before we we've all been in situations like that or we've known somebody who's done that or we've wished we could do something like that and kind of just one of those things that you really connect to as as an actor seeing and even though it's an, an old archetype still something that that you you recognize i also was super excited this is just one part of an episode but forever my entire life have i always remembered the short where slappy and skippy are at woodstock just because yes, they riff on the here. yes, just because they riff on the who's on first thing with who's on stage. Not the band. The band will be playing later. <laughs> I love that one too, and remembered it, and can almost recite it when I was watching it again, which was kind of scary because it's been a while. So. Who's on stage? Yes. Oh, yes is on stage. No, they're, they're not tomorrow. even at this concert. <laughs> I like Skippy's taste in music. Yes, he's got some pretty badass taste. <laughs> you know, with, with all the, the classic characters within, you know, the first couple seasons or that have become mainstay Animaniacs characters, there are also those one-off characters that are just so great. That's That'd be interesting. Who's your favorite one-off Animaniacs character that you haven't... They would only got that one featured spot as opposed to, like, being a regular in the series. Personally, for me, it's got to be Francis Pitt Pump Hamble by Ben Stein. Oh yeah! Where he's just droning on and on, <laughs> and on. they're trying. They finally met their their match. They're, they 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 are the insanest puppy children tunes in the world, and yet they can't take this guy. They are driving. He's driving them crazy. That episode still kills me. And then their eventual acceptance of just like, okay, this is life now. That that was comedic gold of him just 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 tuning hard on them on a level that they are not ready for. <laughs> Francis Pitman. Oh, Ben Stein's performance still kills me to this day. One of my favorite one-offs. I one absolutely love that episode. I mean, when I was re-watching it for preparation of this podcast, I decided instead of like paying attention to the Warners this time, I would pay attention to Ben Stein's monologue. It does not break. <laughs> there is no... That is a continuous monologue throughout the entire episode. You could easily recite that whole monologue in... It, I use it as an audition piece. It's actually really brilliant, the fact that there's no, like, even though there's a time jump in the episode from, like, night to day, his dialogue, his monologue does not break in that time jump. So it's a continuous stream of conscious monologue, and it's 
actually quite brilliant writing. <laughs> you imagine Ben Stein showing up in the studio and going, Ben, we just need you to talk for 10 minutes. <laughs> 10 minutes straight. Just talk. Anything you want me to talk about? Nope, just talk. Tape's rolling. Here we go. It was Bob Barker, and he was eating a cheese ball and bologna sandwich. <laughs> I was trying to think of a one-off, a specific one-off character, but I think Francis would have been the one I would have chosen, although I do love the horse that becomes Pinky's girlfriend. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That was a beautiful episode. It was a beautiful episode. <laughs> Even I could fight them. <laughs> His is better than mine. You'd make Rob Paulson proud. Nick, you were going to say... I don't know if I have a favorite one-off, but I do love, and these are one-off characters, I like the shorts when they're basically harassing historic figures. Abraham Lincoln or <laughs> Beethoven. Like, mm-hmm. The Michelangelo episode is great when they're yeah. playing the Sistine Chapel. Oh my. Yes. Hey, if you like to paint naked people, that's your best. <laughs> we love painting naked people. <laughs> And the great thing about those, like, historical figures is that a lot of them are, like, based on old-time movie actors that played those characters in the movie. So, like, the Michelangelo character is basically a caricature of Kirk Douglas playing Michelangelo in the movie. Like, the name of the movie is escaping me. I'm sorry, film nerds, but there is a movie where Kirk Douglas plays Michelangelo, and that's basically the riff. So, yeah. Yeah, they would dig deep with their not only visual cameo references, but also their own catalog references, you know? And, and if you, as a kid, you'd think it's just a funny joke, haha, oh, that guy's funny. But then as you get older, if you get into that film, cinema, animation, history, whatever, you're kind of like, wait a minute. I know this guy from that Animaniacs episode. It's kind of like a great little <laughs> introduction to not only just comedic humor, but high art as well. And that's why I'd say Animaniacs is in that category of high art. Again, it's very smart. It, it, it's jokes that transcends through time. The older you get, the more there is to love. And that's that's damn good animation. That's a damn good show, in my opinion. I mean, they're doing they're doing the, <laughs> the good fellas, for God's sakes, <laughs> in an animated series. I mean, come on. How, how crazy can you get? <laughs> With a statue of Martin Scorsese on which they perch. <laughs> I did have the realization of the first time I watched or saw West Side Story, I was like, hey, that's that song we learned to perch on Scorsese's head. <laughs> I do have to say that some of my favorite episodes are the musical homages. <laughs> the Les Mis one is a favorite of mine. <laughs> so yeah. I do enjoy yeah. that yeah. one. Rita and Ron doing Les Mis, it was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Again, like I said, that's, it was like, oh, hey, that's, I, that's a musical, and I'm going to go search it out, and there it is. I found it, and it's like, that's funny now. I mean, it was funny already, but it's like even funnier now, because I understood the reference. My favorite, going back to the one-off question, I think my favorite one-off character is this kind of a sentimental choice, but it's one of the few not-stilly-zany cartoons. It's called The Flame. And it's oh, the yeah, the one with Thomas Jefferson. Yes. It was one- they, they aired it around 4th of July, so it's one of the episodes that is, like, a patriotic theme. And it was, there's this little kid, Flame, that, you know, it's just such a cute, natured little cartoon about a personified candle flame that was there when Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of, or 
the the Declaration of Independence, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Yeah. I like the flame because the flame is just a cute little sweet cartoon. It's not the silly, zany thing that Animaniacs is known for, but I think it's just a really nice little cute cartoon, a one-off cartoon. It has heart. There's room for that in that mm-hmm. era, for sure. Mm-hmm. They can get just as crazy, but they can also get just as deep and emotional. And it was okay to do that. It, I, I think that's a, a very good example of a one-off character because it, it teaches some sort of empathy. It teaches that you can you can have these emotions and it's okay in a, in a tune setting. And it explains you know sweetness or displays a sweetness or a sort of an emotional connection that you wouldn't expect from like a super zany tune like that. That is one of the things that I, I sorely miss in the new version of Animaniacs, the 2021, are all the little side the side characters and the side little stories that can explore those emotions as opposed to being just crutching, I hate to, I hate to use the word crutching, but crutching on just the crazy zaniness of the Warner sensibility. I guess that's a good way to get them back into it, but that was one thing that I was sorely missing in, in the new iteration, is the elimination of all those other characters and the side little one-off characters. Well, but I ask you to hold that thought, because we're talking it's about young. that later. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that later. Exactly. It's still young, and, and, and it'll still explore. I, I have faith, or at least I have hope. <laughs> Christian, you've been a quiet yes, one. Ma'am. You've been a quiet one. What are, what are your, some of your favorites or not favorites? Do you have, le- does anybody can answer the least favorite question as well, if that's even possible? No, it's interesting because, like, the, the one off thing ties in also probably my favorite, well, definitely my favorite episodes, one of my favorite episodes of anything ever, which is Clowning Out. And it also ties in, like, just how much the show is a constant homage to the sort of evolution of comedy from particularly, like, mostly leaning on Bob but basically anything. Oh, and it also ties in, like, as an adult retroactively going like that's why i know that voice anything with jerry lewis or a vaguely jerry lewis oriented character there's one where he's a director from which i i realized i'd been saying my whole life funny haha instead of funny uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-oh and then the one that i was quick finishing up (laughs) before we came on basically was clowning out which is just and you're saying something earlier kelly about i can basically quote the whole thing still once it's in front of my synapses again, it's just like 30-year-old synapses dusting off and coming to the foreground, like, I'm in the sky. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, every, like, that is a flawless segment of television. What's the premise of that one? So, clownophobia. We start on the couch with Dr. Scratch and Sniff. And, Echo doesn't oh, jeez, like the little executive guy. Thaddeus Plots. Thaddeus Plots. Okay, thank, yeah, yeah. So he's on the couch. No, 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 no. It starts with, with him sending the clown to Wacko for his birthday. And then it cuts to Scratch and Sniff with him on the couch because he's just been shaken up because he's had to hire this clown and he had to be in the same room as the clown, blah, blah, blah. And then that scene ends with, oh, no, clown phobia is very normal. In fact, but I was just talking to Wacko, who has one of the most severe cases of clownophobia I've ever experienced. I would hate to see, I would hate to be the clown that ever interacted with Wacko. <laughs> and then it just, you know, zooms in on the, the plot's glee, who then they cut to occasionally watching from the, watching the water tower from his window in just sadistic joy as this clown is being pummeled and flattened, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> is that not the one where they hide under Ralph the guard's backside? <laughs> No, okay. I don't recall that moment. Yakko and Dot. <laughs> there are, is that moment. Uh, it just maybe not in that short. <laughs> what was that? I said there is a moment like that. It just must not be in that short. 
I yeah, there's probably a few. His backside is prominently featured often. But yeah, so Yakko and Dot are just like playing hide and seek. So they're almost not in any of the episode. It cuts to them at one point just being like, is he ever going to find us? With just their eyes in the dark. But yeah, it's mostly just an episode of Wacko just making this clown regret ever being born. But then at the very end, it's actually a sweet little, you know, well, this time, few times where the antagonist gets kind of a happy ending because he gets shot up to the moon or some, you know, planet in a rocket. Then he sings his little song and all the alien babies are like singing along with them at the end. So the last line is like, I like it here. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, there's at least, like I say, it's kind of a one-off, kind of not, because like, you know, there's at least one at the time just in season one of where I think it's actually Jerry Lewis, though, is the character. He's directing the Animaniacs and something. Yeah. As a kid, you just have no idea. You might be aware of the Jerry Lewis character, but the way that they are completely doing both the clown that he portrays, Jerry Lewis portrays, but the pretentious real life Jerry Lewis. Yeah. Just, it's amazing once you have heard and seen him in interviews talking about how impressed he is with himself. (laughs) Yeah, because I hadn't really seen. I just randomly was watching interviews of him weeks ago, maybe a few months ago, and, and then rewatching that director one. His like when Jerry Lewis is being serious, it's it's a kind of uncomfortable thing, but like they even nailed that. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, you don't know who he is as a kid probably, but it's just like the voice, that is a voice that will stick in your head for decades and and did. Well, I actually knew who Jerry Lewis was when I was 11. So I, again, I recognized it and being like, oh, that's so cool. They're doing a Jerry Lewis bit. And and knowing that it was a Jerry Lewis bit made it even more funnier to me. And, and I just, I love the Mr. Director character and absolute, just like, again, doing their homework and being like, yeah, that's how Jerry Lewis was, is that he would talk seriously about comedy in that. I want funny. Ha ha. Not funny. You know, and what about funny? Uh oh, I love that joke. It's one of the greatest. So, yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> so, do you have a least favorite? I'm going to put mine out there. It's not Chicken Boo. That's the second to the least favorite. Oh, let me guess. Is it Katie Kaboom? No, I actually That's enjoy fine. Katie Kaboom. <laughs> I never liked that very much at all. Look, if you were the parents of a teenage girl, which apparently my parents were, I, both my, me and my sister were called Katie Kaboom at least once in her life. <laughs> they found that short really hilarious, and now I have nostalgia attached to it. No, my least favorite of the shorts of the characters that recur are the hippos. Flavio and... The hip hippos. The hip hippos. hippos. They're not in much, though. Well, no, they're, yeah, they're, yeah, and I think there's a reason. They're just... <laughs> <laughs> they're, we, get, we get their joke, you know, they're kind of... They're, they're kind of the chauvinistic, uncaring, carefree, aristocratic type, you know, whatever. And, and there, there's not really much you can do with them outside of that 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 framework they they're also my least favorites not not because i dislike them as characters just because there's not much really that it felt like you could do with them after a certain point yeah the other ones they they kind of they kind of had a little bit of more longevity some of the other top-notch characters but yeah they're at the top of my list for the bottom of the list for sure (laughs) that was one of those that probably could have stayed a one-off Yes. yes. They kind of told that story mm-hmm. and they could have left it right there. But any time they came back to do the hip hippo stuff, I always felt like it was just kind of recycled jokes from the previous episodes. I rewatched that, what I think was the first 
Hip Hip Ho's segment earlier today. And yeah, the first one's not bad, but yeah, it probably should have just been the one. Yeah, they're not my favorite characters. And I think I put them maybe second to last, but not the very last. But I will give credit to the fact that the best, in my opinion, the best use of them was in the Noah's Ark episode. That's which is true. an episode featuring, again, there's a character, the one-off character of Noah, voiced by, I don't know who it was voiced by, but the caricature is Richard Lewis. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to talk about obscure char- like actor references, the fact that Noah Noah was a riff on Richard Lewis down to his voice inflection. I even did that hand bit at one point, which I don't, I, who knows? I don't think any of your listeners know who Richard Lewis is, but he was basically like a late 80s. If you do, tweet at us, CPU Podcast. He's star. He was on a show with Jamie Lee Curtis in the like early 90s oh, called Nothing But, I can't remember the name of it. It was like a romantic comedy pretty mad about you. And, you know, I mean, he had this bit where he just, you know, he would touch his hand to his forehead and he would just keep doing this where the hand would go away from his head. I'm doing it right now. You can't see it, obviously, because it's a podcast. But anyway, got that on <laughs> Noah. And again, me being a nerdy 11-year-old, I knew who Richard Lewis was, and I no- recognized that it was like, oh my god, they're doing Richard Lewis, that's hilarious. It's also and, got a great cameo from Buster and Babs in that episode. Yeah. Buster Bunny, Babs Bunny, no relation. I hope so, this is a kid's show. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. The yeah, Noah's Ark episode oh is the best use of them. <laughs> yeah, and I love the joke, it's one of my favorite jokes on the entire sh- I mean, I'm just going to He's saying it's one of my favorite jokes. Basically, lots of jokes are one of my favorite jokes on this show. But one of my favorite is like, you know, God starts speaking and he's like, my how your voice is. He's talking about his mother. And then he hears Noah. Noah is like, my how your voice has changed. I'm not your mother. Oh, my God. I love that. Anyone else have any least favorites? I think my absolute least favorite, though, if I had to name the least favorite and I think some people might not like this, but my least favorite is probably Mindy and Buttons. Oh, yeah, I disagree. I was going to say, I don't, they drag. I don't hate the characters, but those those segments tend to drag. I can see that. Yeah, Mindy and Buttons, they, they're also kind of, they're in the same realm of cartoon characters where it's like the gags. If you can keep coming up with gags, you've got a, a long-lasting cartoon character series, like, you know, Tom and Jerry, etc., the Roadrunner and the Coyote. If you can keep coming up with gags inside of that twosome framework, then they, they get a pass for me. I just feel so bad for Buttons all the time. Right. Yeah, Buttons, that is was... one of those, Buttons is one of those... Those tune characters that I call practicing advanced tuning, where they just take constant punishment and they always bounce back. Like, you know, for example, like Wiley Coyote, like Calamity Coyote, like Furball, like those characters that are just <laughs> mercilessly beaten physically and metaphorically and emotionally and still find the strength to do what they do. That is advanced tuning. I enjoy their their shtick. But I can see how it could wane after a while with with some audience members. See, but I Mm. like Mindy and Buttons because Mindy and Buttons are sometimes Mindy and Buttons in space. Or Mindy and Buttons speak French. Or (laughs) Mindy and Buttons... Those are the best ones. (laughs) Well, and so, and then you... Nancy Cartwright, the voice of Bart Simpson, is the voice of Mindy. And Mm. she has reliable quotes. She goes, Mr. Man, what you doing? Why? Why? Yeah, very Why? Cool. <laughs> okay, I love you. Bye-bye. <laughs> the best 
this day, I still say that to people. I do too. Or, hello, lady. Don't call me lady. Call me mom. <laughs> exactly. Now, you may not like many of buttons, but their staying power is much stronger than, say, somebody like the hip, hip, hippos. How Agreed. many quotes can you do of the hip, okay. as opposed to Mindy? Zero quotes from the hippos. I don't remember <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. I, as, lo- as long as their gags They have funny voices. Gaggy. Yeah. They're, they funny voices funny. with which they say nothing interesting. <laughs> Maurice LaMarche is the voice of Flavio. I've got that same problem. <laughs> Ah, shenanigans. <laughs> Maurice LaMarche is the voice of Flavio, but that doesn't actually save it because they they don't say anything interesting. Yeah, writing is writing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> spicy. <laughs> Roadrunner and Coyote cartoons did the Mindy and Button thing better. Just the idea of the constant recycling and doing the same thing over and over and over again. It never gets old. For me, Mindy and Buttons just gets old. I mean, yeah, there's the, I mean, the French episode is very good for Mindy and Buttons, but it works only because of the formula that Mindy and Buttons has created on the show. It's like, (laughs) that's funny because it's breaking the formula of everyone speaking French as opposed to the regular English. And you recognize the catchphrases, which are the best part of Mindy and Buttons. But also, so you say, I'm not going to try to convince you to love Mindy and Buttons more. However, all of the shorts characters have a formula that they repeat. They just put it in a blender from time to time. So the Warners are more, they're more chaos theory, okay? They're going to do whatever with the Warners. Also, they're the face of the show. But Pinky and the Brain follow the same formula (laughs) And I yeah. love Pinky and the Brain. They're like they do the same thing every night. Every night they try to take over the world. <laughs> Narf, okay. And the Good Feathers. <laughs> you're right. And the Good Feathers are always doing something to save Squit or Pesto. Squit says something that offends Pesto, who says, "Are you saying I'm some sort of mm, try here to amuse you? Is that what you're saying?" No, I'm not saying that. You are calling me that. Yes, yes, that's what I'm saying. That's it. Boom. <laughs> so there's formula through all of it. I guess it's just what you respond to. I I enjoy the Mindy voice and I enjoy the, the shtick because it is an homage. I, I like it because it's an homage to Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner. And it's not only an homage. It's not... It's the old shorts, there was a lot of, I'm chasing you, and this horrible thing happens to me. Yep. This does put that on this head, on its head, where it's, Buns is trying to protect Mindy, and right. these things happen to right. him. Right. I will say, as a kid, I felt, sometimes I felt so bad for Buttons, it made it hard to enjoy as a kid, because yes. why is the dog getting hurt? Yes. And, yeah, no and then the episodes the generally end with, like, the mom yelling at him, saying he's a bad dog. He's yeah, like, he's dog. Not a bad and he'll dog. never get, yeah. I wonder if he ever gets any treats. Does he ever get treats? He better. In my head, Gannon. Okay. I think, I think being an empathetic person, that really infuriated me as a kid. And just being like, you know, being angry at the fact that even though I know it's comedy and that's the joke, it's like, oh, poor Buttons. He's doing all this work for Mindy and he just gets scolded. Oh, that's funny. It still okay. it infuriated me. Because I was like, no, but it's, no. it's funny, but it's wrong. I've had a few relationships like that, so I was used to it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow! <laughs> I guess it is meta in all the ways. <laughs> what character I do miss that I, that I always enjoyed that I, I hope 
they explore the same kind of like little one-off sensibilities. It's not really a one-off character. It did recur happen, or it did happen every once in a while. But it's little, 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 little. One time, one time, okay. One time, Randy Beeman. When I was, <laughs> Colin. His name is Colin. And then, I, and then, and then, and then, and then, I, and then we all got some pudding, and then we ate it, and then, and then Randy Beeman laughed so hard the pudding came out of his nose. Okay, bye. Bye. Little moments like that. I, I really miss <laughs> just little quick. Okay. Let's yeah, the go. vignettes. Yeah. Good idea. Bad idea is another yes. thing that I've just been quoting the, since it aired the whole my whole life. It's eight. time for another good. Yes. And that was just do inexplicable those, skull character. <laughs> Mr. Skullhead. Yeah, Skullhead. Mm -hmm. Like maybe somebody's got some forumy insider knowledge on that one, like Orson Welles. But I just, yes. just like, is there a reason? I mean, there doesn't even. Obviously, as a fan of Animaniacs, I don't need reasons for things. <laughs> but like, I'd be curious. He's a total bonehead. I mean, I mean, he's 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 boneheading his way through life. Think of what they could do with that in the modern a modern Animaniacs. Good idea. And something to keep having up. having a podcast over Zoom. Bad idea. Not turning off your webcam after you think it's done. <laughs> you know, it's something like that. Think, think of what they could do. They, I think they really should dig deep. I miss those little those little creative yeah. thinking outside of the box moments. And Mr. Bonehead is, is or Skullhead, whatever you want to call him, is definitely one of those up there little wheel of recurring gags. Yeah, he's Mr. Skullhead, the little boy that comes out and talks about Randy Beeman's name is Colin, and I remember that because my brother's name is Colin, and so I always <laughs> threw that at him. <laughs> <laughs> One, something else too with, with Mr. Skullhead remember that back in the late 80s early 90s there was a whole series of cartoons well, or commercials involving the crash test dummies Yes, his design is very similar to that and the kind of abuse that he takes is similar to what the crash test dummies would do would go through in their little PSAs and whatnot. so it's, it's another one of those little homages to pop culture not necessarily major pop culture that we remember vividly years on but one of those that if you lived in the time period you'd absolutely remember oh yeah crash test dummies commercials anybody remember that, that actually tangentially episode that the crash test dummies had that was all full of cg it only ran once on fox and that it was never seen again i do actually remember that <laughs> about, i didn't yeah. watch it Sorry, but i remember that just, that just it. Like after dinosaur nostalgia. <laughs> i had a crash test dummies car as a toy when i was a kid from that cartoon steven because they actually it was on long enough that they had merchandise i remember only seeing that one pilot that slick and spin slick and spin get the hmm. job done anybody anybody write in write in if you remember that i'm just disappointed that the theme song wasn't done by the band the crash test dummies that's a Miss merchandising licensing opportunity right there. Maybe. Like God smashed right through a wall. I think they could afford more than a one-hit wonder. Oh, I love this panel. You guys are great because you come with the pop culture. I understand it, but you don't mean it. No. I mean it. <laughs> I, I, another sort of tangential nostalgia moment. There was a pop quiz, and which Yako took to mean he was going to be quizzed on which pop he was about to drink. And then immediately they transitioned into Yako doing Ray Charles in the Pepsi commercials when he was a moon in Pepsi commercials. The Moon Man played by Dungeon. Like that was that was a fairly deep cut. Even I guess maybe not at the time, but yeah, back, looking back, back it's like those commercials. Yeah. Rage well, Charles did commercials. So let's let be mind blown on that right there. But I guess I guess the, 
that segues into a good question. Of all the songs, top Animaniacs song. I had the Animaniacs quote unquote soundtrack on cassette tape way back in the day. Had them all, you know, coming out of the tower when I had all their top hits. Played that thing religiously until I, until it wore out the tape. But in your opinion, favorite top tier Animaniacs song? That, that you still sing or still holds up today. I guess the nations of the world gets a pass. Everybody loves that one. Outside right. of that, go. <laughs> I also had the cassette tape that I listened to, and somewhere back in in my hometown, that cassette still lives, and I know it still works. So <laughs> I got to find that thing and transfer it onto CD or something. But actually, my first, my favorite song is the President song. Yes. That actually. <laughs> Yes. I I made my performance debut in fifth grade in the school talent show, singing that song <laughs> along with the tape, doing all three voices in front of the student body and all the parents. See, now that's the tape you need to go find. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, I'm sure that... <laughs> uh-huh. I like Yakko's Universe. I like the song. It's short. Yes. But I, I really like all of Yakko's songs where he's covering some sort of geography. <laughs> because, I mean, you already mentioned the nations of the world. But I also like the one for the, the states of the U.S. as well, which I can't think of the name of it. I love the words in the dictionary with dot and dick button are like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he's made it halfway through the M's now. <laughs> I have to say, this is not an answer to the song's question, but one of my favorite recurring Warner sketches is when they're interpreting Shakespeare. Mm, it's mm, my favorite. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> I, we barely mentioned it. it. It doesn't happen very often, maybe half a dozen times. Most of the time it's Dot doing translation, although one time Yakko gives it a go. I really enjoy those because <laughs> they eventually devolve into something not Shakespearean at all. I agree. One of my favorite on that on that tape. I mean, I think it had like sixteen songs, but Schnitzelbank stands out. Oda Schirla, Oda Schirla, Oda Schirla, Schnitzelbank. The jaunty tune that it is. I also like the. Very it should model, be the noted that the theme song that the <laughs> of the the main title theme song that featured the Schnitzelbank short was all sung in German. If you oh yeah. That on your rewatch. <laughs> nice little nice little sidestep of. of, of comedic value that they put in there they didn't have to do that but hey why not make it something special i, go I big really or go like home. The, the model of a cartoon individual based off of the gilbert and sullivan modern major general i love a good patter song another deep cut i mean what cartoons were doing gilbert and sullivan at that time no. and of course dots i'm cute yes i do it, like classic <laughs> i also think because i'm the only female on this panel that makes me dot so i'm cute <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were Katie Kaboom. No. Oh, that was when I Wait, was a teenager. Two sides of the same coin. <laughs> I resemble that. The lyrics to this day are also incredibly smart in the amount of the amount that they would put in, how they would also teach you. I mean, that that goes to show that they were more than just slapstick comedy or, or you know, gross-out humor with the Belgian and whatnot. They were actually teaching you things. I learned the nations of the world from the nations of the world. I learned my capitals from Wacko's capital song. I mean, they went it's above and beyond. E equals also. MC squared in the Albert Einstein one. There's a yeah. whole song about the periodic table, and I found that very informative. 
Yeah, they went above and beyond to also make it educational as well as entertaining. And the fact that it was entertaining helped you retain that. I mean, I challenge tunes today to do something like that, to swing that kind of hard, to give it that sort of staying power of value. You just don't see that as much anymore, unfortunately. But I also love it, it just, again, goes to, goes to show how much they took into consideration of the delivery of the piece and, and, and how well it was received not only by kids but also adults. It's... It's still an amazing show, and if you haven't if you haven't seen it, kids and adults, what are you doing? Go, go now, now, <laughs> check it out. Join us. Join us. This segues into the Wheel of Morality, in which Dot and Wacko complain about the Wheel of Morality, and they say the more the, the morals don't make sense. I don't get it. And then Nacko explains that they're just for educational purposes to please the Fox Network brass, and they're like. Oh, great. We love the Wheel of Morality. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me feel all warm and squishy. Yeah. that on set and something. That's right. <laughs> and then after they've done that wheel spin in that particular episode, they don't actually have a moral at all. They win the trip to Tahiti and <laughs> that's it. It's just always on the wheel, isn't it? Isn't that always an option? It's always an option. <laughs> they never spin the wheel to something change. Yep. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't go bankrupt. That also segues, though, The Wheel of Morality is always the final short of any given episode, which goes into the end credits. And I feel we would be remiss if we didn't mention in this episode that covers the bulk of the episodes, the Catherine Page credit. (laughs) Which was one of my favorite silly discoveries. After watching it and watching it, I was like, wait, what? That that credit keeps changing. And that is not a job. And I made sure and I read every one of them this time. <laughs> I love those joke credits that they would do. They even would do that as far back as Tiny Tunes. They would always slip a joke credit in there somewhere. That was something I'd always watch for. Even in the credits, they're giving you they're giving you greatness, you know? <laughs> it's a strong show. They're acknowledging the fact that nobody really watches the credits, so they throw stuff in there to, well, if you are still here and you are still paying attention, you get one more joke for free. Yeah. And one more excuse for them to be subversive and impish you know exactly and then leading straight into whatever is going to pop out of the tower at the very end so goodbye nurse <laughs> spew <laughs> spew yep it's over it's definitely definitely over <laughs> yes. three more paces for dinner we're co- oh, set three more places at the table we're coming over for dinner <laughs> goodbye america <laughs> all right you're, you're all stupefied into various silences. I'm just trying to think of my favorite Wheel of Morality. <laughs> There's so many of them, and I think they're all so hilarious. <laughs> Elvis lives on in his music, in our hearts, and in a trailer park in North Minnesota. <laughs> that, could be, that could be up there. <laughs> early to rise and early to bed makes him unhealthy but socially dead. <laughs> <laughs> kind of gets you right there, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sure the internet has compiled the full list if you Oh, they have. Yeah, super cuts abound on YouTube. There are several very thorough Animaniacs wikis out there. If you haven't gone exploring, I highly encourage you to do so. It's, it's a treasure trove because they weren't lying. Animaniacs has cultivated such a fandom, and it's beyond a cult fandom, I would say. There's literally tons of material on the Google webs that you can go find for yourself if you need refreshment. I have the full list of good idea, bad ideas here, and they make me chuckle right out. (laughs) 
There's that one of the second season episodes is entirely a string of good ideas, bad ideas. Mm. (laughs) Right. Also thinking about not only how it affected us as kids, but also affect the quality or set the bar sort of higher for other tunes of the era that, that came after, you know. It is a major influencer. It still influences to this day. And I think it is a little lightning in a bottle gift that all of us... <clears> through <throat> something That's still enjoy to this day and, and that people can still go back and get more of. I am only excited to keep diving into the realm of, of the Warner Tower and, and to see what it has to offer for this modern generation and its influences there too. That's all uh, I can say about that. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Now this is the point, Christian, at which I ask you, is there anything else that you, because we have covered a lot and that was such a lovely note, is there anything else you want to say about the Fox era of Animaniacs in this episode before we sign off? Because you know the next time we're talking about the WB era and that might be new for some of us. There are so many. Kind of a question for, again, the, the folks who seem to be a little more, like say, delving into backstory and stuff than i generally do but does and this is i, th- I think this will go somewhere but does anybody else remember the cartoons mad jack the pirate and or sam and max love sam and max freelance police all the way Steven <laughs> i was trying to remember what like i mean i guess i could google this but it's just like what <laughs> networks those were on because i recall those from childhood being the only things that came sort of even close to the level of sort of you know edginess in 90s cartoondom and if those you know happen to be fox again just because those those were also pretty short-lived i i believe as good things on fox historically tend to be those were definitely part of that fox era sam max existed created by steve purcell before that but the fact that that content got an animated show green light speaks to the idea of okay we can be more a little more edgy that era of tunage i think yeah. was totally influenced by the edginess and the creativity of animaniacs and they were trying to compete for sure not compete but also be a part of that camp you know and i would say because of of the edginess of of that era you know tiny tunes leading to animaniacs to freakazoid where they went completely off the wall the edginess factor did kind of was kind of more relevant it did open that that sort of that floodgate for tunes that kind of what we have now today i mean you even look at the fox era i think which came first but then you open up to the cartoon network era that you know spawned with cartoon planet you know the space ghost coast to coast that kind of yes. opened up to the adult swim era which kind of transcended i think it all kind of really stems back to the edginess of the influence of Animaniacs and and showing that it's okay to do that. That's a very good point of those that other tunes of that era that might have springboarded or have become successful or got even got greenlit or considered to get greenlit because of Animaniacs. I, I mean, SpongeBob comes to mind for sure too in terms of later that shows wouldn't happen without Animaniacs. I think well, that, it's pretty safe to say. That's going even further back to the Nickelodeon era, the 1990, 1991. You got your Brendan Stimpy, you got your yeah. You got, your, you got your Rugrats. I mean, even before SpongeBob, we wouldn't have SpongeBob without those crazy, edgy tunes of Nickelodeon. That's a whole different podcast. That is a whole yeah. different <laughs> podcast. Maybe some people should want to talk about the Nicktoons. And I think you, <laughs> I think you sideswiped at Firefly just a moment ago, Christian, with your "Nothing Ever Lasts on Fox." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I will. That that. Speaking of things that could be their whole podcast, like I will. I will rant about things I've loved that Fox has killed. <laughs> There's Fox at least is... an hour of, of ranting about that to be had, for sure. 
Doctor's great at green lighting anything and horrible at giving it time to find an audience. Yeah. That's Which fair. is horrible at leaving rugs unpulled out. From at the, least they're yeah. consistent. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. They've forward. got a thing, you know. They've got. They found their thing over at Fox. We got Futurama on line one. Ah, <laughs> uh, and please listen to our Futurama podcast, which is archived at the website. <laughs> Maurice Lamars, Tress McNeil, Frank Welker, come on, come on. <laughs> I know we haven't done The Simpsons yet, but someone's going to have to figure out how we could even possibly do The Simpsons. <laughs> Good luck. One episode at a time. Ah! <laughs> Well, I'll be dead. That's a hundred years. Like yes. eating <laughs> Too much. <laughs> I used to know what it was, and then it changed, and now what it is is oh, terrifying to me, and it'll happen to you. That is the best <laughs> Ape Simpson impression I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We got to do more cartoons so Steven can do more impressions. I think that's the moral of this story. <laughs> I'm ready when you are. Just All wind right. me up and let me go. Let's do it. But about Animaniacs, is there anything... <laughs> I'm here to moderate. I'm here to moderate. Is there anything else that you wish to say that we haven't already covered about the Fox seasons? I feel like we can't go without mentioning like some what, in my opinion, are some of the great cartoons. Like My absolute favorite, I think, of the entire part of what we're overviewing today is probably King Yakko, which is fairly early in I, the... That was another one I just watched again today. It's a full episode cartoon. It spans the entire half an hour. And it's the one that's basically, it's a riff on the Marx Brothers duck soup. Mm-hmm. And Yakko becomes <sighs> the king of a small country called Anvilania and and then Anvilania goes to war with the neighboring country and which oh crap I forget the name of the neighboring country but it's a great joke don't like us I think yeah yeah, I'm not kidding I just (laughs) it's a musical episode they wrote they wrote songs it's like a full like full-on short musical well many of the songs are repeat renditions of the Anvilania national anthem though (laughs) that was the polka dot runner it's the anvilania (laughs) polka dot again (laughs) okay if you insist (laughs) i mean and that's what made me want to seek out the original marx brothers movies and i in my youth, I did actually watch Duck Soup. I was like, oh, this is a, you know, when I f- realized it was a riff on it, I was like, well, I have to watch it now. And it's actually a really spot on, you know, it's its own original thing. But the fact that it's such a close approximation of the Marx Brothers Duck Soup, it's really well done the way they pay homage to that movie. And so and it's one of my favorite ones. And I've watched I watch it over and over again, and I just love the songs. I love the jokes. I love everything about it. It's a, that's one of my favorites, probably. And to piggyback on that, for people, all you, all you, all you kids out there listening to this podcast who aren't familiar with Animaniacs, the, what I love mostly about that kind of sensibility is the gateway. It is the gateway to the other other bits of creativity of other projects like the Mark Brothers and and, and older older things that 
kids today or might not get into without this sort of this sort of gateway influence. And Animaniacs totally blows open those doors for for showing that content. I know it's fun to you know harp on '90s nostalgia and, and have that OK Boomer sensibility about some of these older tunes and older older gags and older comedians and and and, and projects. But check it out. Check check some of those stuff out. Check some of that stuff out for sure. If you haven't seen it, if you like Animaniacs, allow yourself to be open to those to those doors as they open themselves to it and explore some of this content. If you haven't before, it only gets better from there. And Animaniacs is a great springboard to start from. I mean, within two episodes, either before or after the the duck soup homage is a seventh seal <laughs> like where they're playing checkers for the fate of wacko going you know that's having one of my favorite ones not too from a meatball eating contest in sweden yeah. <laughs> like, well and it's also course, it's also course, around the time that bill and ted's bogus journey came out so it was riffing on the thing that was riffing on the thing so it's the seventh because uh, bogus well, journey rips on the seventh seal <laughs> we some inception level riffing here there is very much it's awesome. It's one of my uh, favorite episodes. In a future episode, I'd like to talk about the universe and the Toon Universe Prime as a whole, which which got me thinking when I was watching Animaniacs. All you tunophiles out there, all you Toon heads, if you, what, where does the Toon Universe begin? What universe <laughs> is Toon Universe Prime? Think about there, is the no <laughs> there is no spoon. There is no spoon. Is it Disney Universe? Is it Warner Brothers Universe? We'll dissect that later. Okay, we'll work through that one. That is it cool. hieroglyphs? <laughs> in That's France. Must, they didn't move. <laughs> they weren't animated. I mean, Firelight. Oh, okay. <laughs> little, little Firelight, little peyote. You've got yourself some tunes. All right, fair enough. I'll buy it. <laughs> we can't add, add a drug reference. That's weird. Well, I mean, <laughs> I also love the episode where they go to hell. The short where they the the animini- the Warners go to hell and they torment the devil. I mean, that's like the epitome, in my opinion, of the idea of the Warners tormenting somebody for an entire short. And it has one of my favorite jokes. Again, I say that a lot this episode, but it's one of my favorite jokes of, of the whole series is when, you know, the devil is going to torture them. And he's like, behind this door is one of the worst things in the entire world. And he opens the door and it's a hippie whiny protest song (laughs) (laughs) you and me that is a good one (laughs) (laughs) and think how many things they could have put behind that door like with these writers as we know and love I'm them I'm sure they had a stack of ideas yeah that was a whole (laughs) afternoon and then they probably just picked one at random (laughs) maybe I don't know that felt targeted This was a nice episode, and I'm going to ask again, make sure your feelings are out. Is there anything else you want to cover about the Fox seasons of Animaniacs? I just want to say thank you to the universe, the Fox universe, for for giving us what they did with that, that original run of Animaniacs, with the pure run of Animaniacs, that pure era, where it was truly explosive creativity. Nothing was taboo. Nothing was taboo. It was just all, let's, let's throw everything at the wall. Let's see what fits. Let's see what sticks. And, and let's see if we got a show. And 
they had one and Boy, it was they. glorious and thank you thank you the fox era for giving us that that little gift spielberg if you're listening out there i hope you are you're probably not but if <laughs> you are CPU thank podcast. you as well for your madcap sensibilities and instinct to give us this show and to do everything that you did for it it only i wish i could say it only gets better from there but it gets more interesting for sure thank you fox <laughs> I mean, like the honeymooners. Like the honeymooners. This is the classic '69. Oh, I was hoping. I just thought of three jokes there, but I. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, everybody. (laughs) I think that's where we gotta leave it. (laughs) That feels like the end. So what I'm gonna do at this time is thank Ryan and Nick and Michael and Stephen and Christian for joining me for our first episode of this Animaniacs Looking Back to Look Forward series. Don't you worry, friends and tune heads, as Stephen calls you. We got more Animaniacs to talk about, including the WB <laughs> era and the revival seasons. But before we do all that, I have to roll some credits. Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation Point! was produced by Back Pocket Productions, run by yours truly, the Chief Couch Potato, which is really another way of saying executively produced by me, Kylie Piet. My associate producers are Krista Pennington and Celine Resmer. I edit this podcast and our logo is by Rebecca Wallace. Our marketing graphic artist is Krista. Our theme song was written by Sarah Milbratz and sung by Sarah, Amy McDaniel, and Kels Resmer. Kels played the keyboard, Ian McDonough played the bass, Christian Somerville played the guitar, and the whole shebang was engineered by Kyle Aspinall and Christian. We hail from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Please, if you like what you hear, take the time to rate us, give us stars, provide comments, or review us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, CastBox, and Amazon are just a few of the places you can find us, but we're also on YouTube. We have our website. Otherwise, feel free to tell us how we're doing, what we should add, subtract, keep, or toss. You know how it goes. And if you have suggestions for shows we might consider, contact us at our website where we have a guest book by email at couchpotatoesunitepodcast at gmail.com, our Facebook, our Twitter at CPU Podcast, our Instagram at couchpotatoesunite, or wherever you get your podcasts. Though, of course, we add new and old shows to chat about around the water cooler all the time and always have new episodes coming down the pipe. Just listen to our intros. If you miss old episodes or want to know in general what shows we cover, just search for us. Find us wherever you do searchable things on the internet. Don't forget that exclamation point. Or contact us via our website, our email, our social media accounts, and stay up on all the new events and episodes by our humble little podcast, Couch Potatoes Unite! Exclamation point! Until the next time, Animaniacs, both the original series and the revival, are available to stream in their entirety on Hulu. In the meantime, our Animaniacs panel will next reconvene to discuss seasons 3, 4, and 5 of the original series, i.e. the WB seasons, and part 2 of this Looking Back series very shortly. So until next time, until next episode, new episodes are published every Wednesday. Keep listening, keep watching, stay tuned! Mm-hmm. 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 Mm-